0: Hello, welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. My name's Liz Murphy and I'm partnered up again with my comrade, Dr Mim Fox. Hello, Mim. Hi, Liz. How you doing? Look, tell me all about this ANZWAS conference because we've got a bit of a series coming on now.
1: Yeah, we do. Um, So, as you know, last month, one of our producers, Ben Joseph, and I went to Perth to the ANSWA Symposium. ANSWA stands set for the Australian-New Zealand Social Work Education and Research. And it's an organization here in this part of the world, Australia and New Zealand, where we're really interested in what's happening in the education and research space in our profession. Okay, so we went to this symposium, it was amazing Liz, social workers talking on so many different topics but the theme for the conference was actually on social workers creating a socially just world and activism was actually the big practice method that was discussed repeatedly at the, at the symposium. So activism being something in social work that we don't actually talk about as much anymore it feels like to me. But it's like your flares. You won't see. Never
0: throw your genes away because it will come
1: back. Yes, but here's the problem I think with this is that many social workers, when they think about activism, they do do what you've just done and go back to the 70s. They think grassroots... But I'm thinking of the climate change much as That's so... right, that's right. So we're very much more in the present day with activism now. And that's what this symposium was about, right? right? How are social workers being activists and creating change now? So what we've done, because of this symposium we've actually created a bit of a mini theme on the topic of activism for our podcast. And this, this, this mini season that we're creating is gonna be sponsored by Answa, And over the next little little while, probably the next few months, we're gonna dribble out some social work stories that are focused on social workers who practice advocacy in their everyday work. Great. I know, it's exciting. It's exciting because this is an area of love for me. Is it? Bit been? of a passion area. The
0: things you learn about your co I know, Good. I know.
1: I get really excited by social workers talking about how they challenge the system and challenge the organisations and context they work in. So this social worker we're hearing from today is a sexual assault social worker. She's worked with women who've had sexual assault experiences in their lives doing therapeutic counselling work. And she's going to talk about how she uses feminist social work in her practice with them. One of the things I just want to point out to our listeners is that she mentions a... Protest that happens throughout the world called Reclaim the Night. And it's very big in Australia in the major cities. And this is where women take over the streets for a night. And men too. Well, men are allowed to walk on the sides in support of the women. But it's actually the women who are undertaking the protest. And the idea is women not being safe in the streets at night. For one night in the year, the year, the streets are closed down and they are allowed in safe convoy to walk through the streets.
0: This was started in 1977 in Leeds, I believe.
1: There you go. There you go and it's spread throughout the world. And definitely I remember in my undergraduate years, I remember hitting the streets and for Reclaim the Night and going to the protests and hearing stories from sexual assault survivors that still stay with me now. And do you know that there was one
0: that happened last night in Newcastle, Australia?
1: Well, there you go. This is timely then. It is timely. So I I think this is a great story. Also with this story, there's actually two parts to it. So the first part talks about the therapeutic space and taking the therapeutic space into an advocacy space. And then the second part talks about how we work as a profession around these ideas. So we're going to listen to our first half of the story, have a chat, and then focus on the other
2: story as well. Okay? Okay, let's do it. Okay. So a day for me at my job would be um, providing sexual assault counselling for victim survivors of childhood or adult sexual assault Um, and also then providing some advocacy services. That could mean doing advocacy with police, with other health professionals, going to court, so a whole range of different things. And that was very interesting work and it complemented each other very well. And I think it was also important in terms of some level of sustainability because you can't just do counselling work when it comes to such difficult experiences. It's, it's kind of very toxic material you're constantly working with. What I really liked about the framework we used in our practice was um, the kind of feminist practice that that really still looked at the the person who's been experienced the violence, who was harmed, as the expert of her or their life and experience. And at the same time, while we supported um, the person in being able to understand, acknowledge their experience, come to terms with it, and then the process of overcoming some of the the kind of uh, impacts of it, that we would always put that individual very unique experience in the broader context of sexual assault being a systemic issue, a structural systemic issue embedded into all of our institutions in society. So what that meant, it also gave me the opportunity to talk about that in my counselling sessions and to use that as a form of kind of um, uh, therapeutic work of actually talking about us as women also sharing the same kind of space even though I'm the counsellor the person is the one receiving the therapeutic support we are both situated in an environment that is quite hostile to us and we're both experiencing that so I was very much informed also by the kind of practice that I think Lila Watson so beautifully encapsulated in her kind of quote uh, when she said, if you come here to help you're wasting your time, if you come because your liberation is tied up with mine let's work together. So I could use this um, in my work and Apart from doing the self-care strategies, the grounding strategies that we do, we also talked about the importance of being part of that broader systemic change that we need if we actually want to make sure women don't keep getting harmed by gendered violence. And that meant we could actually talk about some of the campaigns that existed and that we also, as sexual assault workers, were involved in. So quite a few of us, for instance, were quite involved in some of the committees that were organising marches and protests uh, that were uh, challenging uh, violence against women and that were actually also putting up clear demands to the state and to society. There would be, for instance, Reclaim the Night marches. So what we did, for instance, in counselling, we were talking about Reclaim the Night. So, you know, I'd be going... Would you be interested? Would you like to get involved? Is that something you could see that would actually make you also feel good about yourself, about your experience, in the sense as a woman in this world, and that you can contribute. So you're not just a passive kind of recipient of things that happen, but you become an active agent in your life. And I think for some, For some people, this was quite transformative because it changed this idea of just, you know, I've been harmed, I had no control over what's happening and I can't change that. But I can be part of something that's bigger, that's beyond me and that's positive. And so what we do, you know, in, 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 in a fair bit of my counselling, I would raise these suggestions, you know, if it was appropriate, of course, and quite often it was very appropriate. So we'd then also be working together on, sometimes in committees, yeah. Now, that could be challenging at times when you still, you know, like have a, that, that counsellor or, you know, social work, service user relationship, but there it was really also about being clear around some of our boundaries. And that's always challenging. And I think that's, that's, that's the tricky thing for us, is how do we keep some of these boundaries, but where can they be more porous? Because at the end of the day, if I come from a feminist practice principle, I have to be able to also walk hand in hand and link arms. Yeah? And it doesn't matter if we've been in a counselling session there before. you know. Um, so, so, so I think that's, that, that were some of the challenges, but I think... I think for me it was always keeping in mind that my liberation is tied up with the person I'm sitting next to me. It makes it possible and you can work out the parameters of that relationship, that professional relationship, but then becomes in a way kind of sisterly, comradely, whatever you want to call that relationship where we also become these agents of change. Um, yeah, and I think they were very powerful for me also. Um, to be able to work together and see what we can kind of achieve together, and and being challenged in my own practice, where you know, I think also yes, the counselling is really important, um, but it's also that that kind of work we do together outside that room that actually doesn't work very well for everybody. You know, that room where you have to sit and talk and always about the really difficult stuff. To actually then to see that sometimes being in a different space together can be extremely therapeutic, and 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 actually in a way push I would say the kind of uh, the, the the healing whatever we want to call it um, push it forward quite tremendously. Uh, so so we'd find ourselves together sometimes in committees. Uh, painting banners together, um, going with the service user to do an interview at a radio station, supporting her, um, writing short pieces on things. Um, yeah, I've, I think that there was some, and, and, and that was possible at my, my work. That's not always possible. Not, not every agency necessarily would agree with that approach or would even use that approach. So that for me was, I would say, That's the kind of feminist practice I really like.
1: Liz, our social worker straight up said, I'm a feminist social worker. I practice from a feminist social work stance. And she said it with such passion. And such conviction.
0: And conviction. I loved that.
1: Would you call yourself a feminist social worker in the same way, Liz? Damn right. Yeah,
0: no problem. But I think we're probably from the same era, just listening to this social worker. But after listening to a really good podcast yesterday, ABC, Philosopher's Zone, I think I'm going to change it to Eco Feminist.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. So the combination of the environmental perspective with your feminist perspective. I've got another label for myself. But what about you, would you call yourself a feminist? Oh, absolutely, no doubt. But I'm really conscious that feminism, I mean, we're in fourth wave feminism now. So feminism in the digital era. And I'm really conscious that when people think about feminism, definitely in the broader public, they still think about second wave feminism. Which was? So second wave feminism was women's rights for pay, uh, equal representation. We we were no longer focused on the vote as much, but it was still, and it was also, second wave feminism was also the first time that domestic violence and sexual assault really came to the fore, okay? So the gifts of that that period in feminism was about the personal is the political. What happens behind closed doors is actually of importance to the country overall and to us as a society, right? Something that we absolutely in Australia, we now associate that with domestic violence and domestic violence legislation, hands down. Mm. I think
0: think the flip side to that was what interested me with the social worker talking about the value of that for the individual client or service user, she called her, um, Mm. and the therapeutic advantage or value of feminist as a framework?
1: Yeah, so I think this idea, one of the things that the personal being the political gave to social work was very much about the service user or the client being the expert in the room. Mm. And that it's their story that any of our intervention actually flows from. So the interesting part was
0: also how this social worker took the therapeutic intervention out of the room Yes and onto, literally, onto the street
1: Yes Did you
0: get a sense from her about how she navigates that with
1: the service user that she's working with? Well, she spoke a lot about waiting for an appropriate moment, didn't she? And that it didn't always come up That it was more about the individual
0: person and whether it would be in in keeping with their story or their view of the world, or that's right,
1: know. and what their personal goals and aims were around their growth and their their learning. So this is this is something I'm
0: really interested in. Mm. So it's important to highlight the fact that it's not a one shape fits all, yeah. And it's not about the social worker's particular political or philosophical or practice perspective. Well, it is in some I regards, think it but is. It, but it is also driven from the the need of that particular service user absolutely. right so it's it's very centred around
1: who they are it's very client focused yes absolutely i think also the notion for a lot of people listening to this story of st- standing on the street next to your client and protesting with them would make them a bit shaky make them a bit uncertain because we have such a clearly defined western notion of boundaries that actually what this social worker really highlights is the very nuanced lens that we have to have on boundaries. Now, we've talked about this, Liz, in a number of our episodes, right? So we talked about it in terms of Indigenous, working with Indigenous families. We talked about it in terms of the emergency department uh, and different, different situations bringing different boundaries, right? Yes. In this case, I think this idea that The social worker is there protesting on behalf of herself, on behalf of her clients. She's protesting with herself. She's protesting with her clients. This is true partnership in advocacy from my perspective. I listen to this story and I'm filled with the power that actually walking alongside someone can bring.
0: Mim, you work with students now a lot more than what I do. So how do you talk about this with your students and about how they can use interventions like this with their clients or to be open to?
1: Yeah, so when I work with students now around this issue and I do, I teach this concept, I talk about it in a critical social work frame and I talk about it, And it's important to say that this doesn't just sit there. There is actually so many theoretical bases to why social workers should be working in the space of activism, but also from our very underlying value of social justice. And you can't get away from that when you actually think about activism. That especially now in the digital era that we live in, there is so much capacity for every single social worker to be engaged in activism. And we hear about the big forms of activism, but there's a lot of social workers out there, Liz, engaging in covert activism. Ooh, I love a bit of covert activism. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic. And my favourite examples that I always give the students are the social workers who, you know, back in the day when I was working in the hospitals, the paperwork to get An elderly person into a nursing home was enormous. And you often had social workers just leaving that paperwork on their desk for that day or two too long to make sure the person had a bit of extra time in the hospital before they had to leave. That's an example of covert activism, right, where the client's needs are actually superseding the organisational process or practice around you. And the social worker is focusing in that direction. So right? a little
0: bit of disruption yeah. is disruption. what you're talking about. That's yeah, That's
1: exactly right. But it happens all the time, right? This is a space that actually isn't hugely documented because social workers are often working in really large bureaucracies and organisations that they can't speak out from.
0: I know there should be, again, going back to my recipe metaphor that I use every so often, people sharing some of their covert ways of disrupting the very systems in which they work oh I think we could have we could have it like a little part on the on on this podcast people ringing up and letting us know because one of the things that I think she raises for me is if you're not out in the streets if you're not being an activist in that way does that make you less of a feminist social worker then I think she uses the the term of, a, you know, there's so many social workers who are conservative. And that's a really interesting debate about, you know, what constitutes activism,
1: what constitutes quieter disruption. Absolutely. And I I would wholeheartedly say no, it doesn't make you less of a social worker or less of a person. I think actually what coming from the base of social justice, this is a calling for social work. And what I'm loving about what's happening globally with social work as a profession, and you're seeing it in a lot of conference themes at the moment around the world, is actually about social workers owning that notion of an agent of social change or being a social work warrior, that actually we need to be using whatever methods we can in order to be creating change and not limiting ourselves. I wanted just to mention one thing before we listen to the other half of um, our social worker's story is I was listening to a podcast that you put me on to, Liz, actually, On Being, which is such a gorgeous oh, podcast.
0: Oh, Tippett. Oh, it's
1: beautiful. But there was an episode recently where they had on Jennifer Bailey and Lennon Flowers and they were talking about the notion of brave space. And what they were saying was that – and they were speaking specifically about America at the moment. But I would broaden that out. They were saying that so many people are existing without a safe space that actually this idea of reaching for a safe space or creating a safe space is almost ideal now. And that actually, instead of talking about a safe space, we need to talk about a brave space, a space where everyone can actually feel that they can be brave in their ideas, in their opinions, in their sense of self, and that that can be reacted to in a respectful manner, right? I, what I loved about the story from this social worker was that that's what she's doing with her clients. Mm. She's taking them from the therapeutic space, which is potentially a safe space, out on the streets, which then takes them into a brave space. And she's doing it with them in their walking, right? I loved that notion.
0: I loved it too. So, are we, we're just about to listen to another way in which
1: she has practiced activism. That's right. You mentioned conservative social workers before. She's going to highlight that in this, story. in this story. And we'll have a chat about it afterwards.
2: Okay, let's do it. Another very, very interesting experience for me as a social worker was when I worked in a um, homelessness shelter and at the same time was very actively involved in organising a very big social action over a few days that was a non-violent blockade of a uh, meeting, of a, 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 a kind of global meeting of unelected leaders who were basically deciding what's going to happen with resources in the world. So, we we're talking some of the biggest kind of capitalists, biggest businesses, and government officials came together. And I was part of a broad community um, and um, activist alliance uh, where we said, we're going to peacefully blockade that meeting. And we worked over months around that. So as that meeting, I mean, came closer and closer, like I said, I was then also working in the homeless shelter and we ended up having some very big debates in there with the staff and they were all social work staff too. And I was really quite surprised at some of the negative reactions I got from some of my social work colleagues who were questioning why we were doing that and is this really the role of a social worker, even outside paid work? And is this even appropriate? Because this idea about this is their freedom of speech and you just want to take that away by protesting or blockading. We were saying, well, actually, that protest is about global poverty. It's about systemic oppression. um, And I think sometimes that's what we need to do. We actually need to actually show them we are prepared to take him on in peaceful action. Massive, massive um, debates. And nobody from that job actually came with me when then the action happened over a few days. There was none of the workers who actually came. Some of them might have been nervous or not interested, but it, it, what, that was a really interesting experience for me because it confronted me with the reality that I think some social workers are also quite conservative, actually. I, I, I just, I don't know why I hadn't thought about that before. But I think that's really what it brought home to me. And it brought also home that maybe that's partly something as educators, important for us to keep in mind that social change activism is a fundamental part of social work, you know, and we need to keep that in mind. Um, But what was interesting is that there was quite a few people from the homeless shelter who actually, you know, when I did some shifts, we were talking about that, who actually came to that big protest and sought me out because I played a particular role Then I said to them, you're going to find me here or at that place. And they came because they said, this is about poverty. This is my life. I've been denied so many opportunities. I'm going to be here. I don't have anything else to do either, but that's okay. And we go, okay, but at least then you, you are using it um, in, a, in a constructive way for you. And especially, I think, for a lot of homeless people, they feel so undervalued. Um, You know, there's so much stigma around homelessness, so much stigma. Homelessness, uh, you know, um, drug addiction. People are highly stigmatized, and the self-esteem of quite a lot of people is really low. So for them to be able to be invited to actually come along to, you know, a big community action, Um, and be part of this big group and seeing that their actions matter. The bodies that were there mattered because we ended up getting over 20,000 bodies and it affected how these people could run their, 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 their big meetings. So, you know, it had actually quite a big effect. It was all over the media and I remember them going back to work when it was over and a couple of the service users that were still there in the accommodation place that just went, how good was that hey and I go yep how good was that and we stood there together we were united you know and for me that was a beautiful experience um again you know this 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 were service users strangers so to speak but it brought out that kind of humanity in us all that it doesn't matter what the circumstances of our life are we actually or what language we speak what what, what cultural um, traditions we hold We have more in common than divides us and sometimes I think in social work we've got to be careful not to put that kind of professionalism um, in the way of really connecting with our service users beyond that classic I can give you resources that you need and that's the beginning and the end of our kind of relationship but bringing it back into the real human space that we have all got something to gain from working together to challenge power and oppression. So that, yeah, these, I think, were probably some of the most important um, experiences when it comes to the question of working beyond the traditional therapeutic space, um, but in the broader social activist sort of space was some big learning for me as, as a social worker that I could then keep taking back into my practice, and, and I've always done that. Um, yeah, I, I, I always, you know, my practice, talk about how we all can contribute a lot to changing the world to become a better place. And those acts can be very transformative for ourselves um, and, and, and really can, I guess, empower us and give back some of the love that maybe we have, has been denied to us, to to nurture ourselves um, in that place and I think that's that's very therapeutic. So
1: Liz, that was a really interesting example of a social worker feeling like there was a shared value space in her team with her fellow social workers. And push comes to shove there wasn't so
0: the impression i got was people were in agreement to start off with but as the days grew closer to the event event, people were starting to feel less and less brave or less and less able to participate that's right she sounds like she was really surprised she was really on that day it's her and the number of people who are homeless that ended right. up going.
1: Yeah, and for her, that undervi- underlying value that stemmed, stemmed from her feminist social practice about walking side by side with the people whose stories are actually what you're protesting about, she felt that that superseded everything else.
0: Do you think it's one of those moments where you think... Everyone, say in my department or my service, we all think the same. Yeah. (laughs) And then you you wake up to the fact that, oh, well, maybe I am the only person that's brave enough, or I'm, am I the only feminist here? Am I the only person that wants to take this relationship outside of the walls of the service, and march side by side?
1: That wouldn't be an isolated experience, I would imagine. I would imagine there are lots of social workers who've experienced that moment where they realise that they think a little differently to the other people they work with. But I do think we have an assumption in social work that because of our codes of ethics, uh, that we will all be thinking the same. Mm. And the reality is that the history of social work doesn't actually come from this current value base. Although there are links to it, but remember, those first social workers, the people who we can describe as actively doing social work, were actually pretty privileged white middle-class women, definitely in Australia. I
0: think you're right. Like, I remember a few years ago there was a, you know, a union issue yeah, that impacted on the, you know, hospital staff, right? And there was an opportunity to march about the you know whether it was a pay rate or a work condition or whatever it was I was surprised in the social work department of about 40 how few members were union yes and and again I probably had that moment like this social worker going why I can't believe you're not a member of the union but I had just assumed that that would be part of a social worker's view of the world view of their work
1: that you would belong to a union but in the same way that our clients change as time moves on and decades move on and laws and policy changes and society changes so too does our profession right so yes, actually that's a good point. actually the assumption that all social workers are exactly the same is kind of a fallacy like we have to in the same way that we appreciate diversity in our clients and in our students we do need to come around to an appreciation of diversity in our workforce so i absolutely agree with that and it's a great reminder so
0: where are you with regards to that conservative social work label versus a radical social work like that that seemed to me like the social worker was saying that i am a radical feminist in my practice the others were far more conservative and that upset her like, do you have a, do you have a sense
1: of, of the difference and what that looks like and? I do think that there's something there about how the values are enacted. And I think a lot of social workers would feel that they are still radical in their practice, even if they're not gonna hit the streets. So I do think that there are a lot of social workers who are radical in the way that they advocate for their clients in their organizations, we've talked about covert activism, but or else how they advocate for their clients to have equity Mm. to services or to income, how they seek, they strive for equality or social justice. I do think that they would still believe that their actions are in that vein and in that value spirit, right? Um, But I do think there is a disconnect between that and hitting the streets uh, even though we live in a world now where participating in protest is easier than it ever was I mean how many times through our social media platforms do people get invited to actually engage in protest well, well that, that happens that's that
0: what I was I, I guess wondering about that's not to say that protest isn't happening in a different sphere just because you're not marching the streets, right? That's right. So are you
1: saying that it can look differently? I definitely think it can look different. The other thing I think just to say is that the social worker and I, cause I did this interview with the social worker and after it was over, we actually had another conversation, which we haven't played, but I thought the listeners might be interested in this. I asked her with the hashtag MeToo movement, uh, having such an impact on our world, what was the impact what has been the impact of that movement on social work practice with, with, with sexual assault survivors? Has there been an impact? My question was, has it impacted the women, which I think we have a general assumption that there is, and or has it affected social work practice in the space? And her response was, absolutely she felt that there were a lot of social workers working in sexual assault that now feel affirmed in the work that they do and feel like they can push harder when it comes to advocacy and activism than they could before that's interesting and she pointed specifically to the fact that all these stories coming out of hashtag me too have actually meant that people need to be accountable so that not only perpetrators need to be accountable but also social workers who strive for social justice need to be accountable in how they're enacting that. So I thought that was really interesting.
0: Finally, Mim, when you are working with your students, where are you, like, where do you take them in in that that subject on Mm. activism? Do you talk about radical social work? You do. And do you talk about the history of social work like that? You mentioned earlier off mic that the history of social work has an impact.
1: Yeah. Yeah and I do think this I and I've only just started speaking with students as well as colleagues about this idea because I really do believe that definitely in Australia the history of social work in this country is very bound up with conforming to government mandate and so social workers have been implicated and we've spoken about this in the podcast Mm. before Liz social workers have been implicated in the stolen generation here in Australia Um, and there are and also with um, uh, children, babies born out of wedlock, and forced adoptions, and so you know around the world there are examples of social workers being implicated in these sorts of atrocities. I, my feeling is that there is a legacy that has come from that, that social workers sometimes do feel that they have to react to that history. By being the gatekeeper or the um, ultimate advocate for the vulnerable person, no matter what. And the, the way that plays out sometimes can be a confusion of these values. It sometimes can mean that social workers become more conservative out of fear, uh, in, and so they prevent themselves from going as far as they feel their clients need, or sometimes they go the other extreme, and they go so far and get so involved because they feel that it's their duty. Um, I don't think this is a bad thing, Liz. I actually think this is part of the ongoing discussion that we have to have in our profession about what does it mean to meaningfully engage with people when you walk alongside them and their stories.
0: Food for thought? Definitely food for thought.
1: Yeah, I think this story from this social worker gave us a lot to reflect on. A lot to think about it's exciting because this is the beginning of this theme mini series that we're going to do and so we're going to have a lot more really interesting conversations about this well
0: i mean big shoes to fill for the other interviewees because i love this woman's passion and i'm assuming she has been working in this space for a while yeah um isn't it great to hear that there's still fire in the belly oh, absolutely yeah, so, and I wanted to say thank you to that particular social worker for sharing her her practice, which has had us talking about some big ideas and I'm sure will have the same impact on many of our listeners.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Again, just to remind people to send us um, a voice memo with examples of covert activism. I'm intrigued to hear what social workers are doing out there. Of course, protect yourselves though. So if you need to send it to us anonymously... Please do whip out your phone, do a voice memo, and then email, email it to us. Uh, that would be great. That's a great idea, Mim. And, of course, you can
0: send it to socialworkstoriespodcast at gmail.com.
1: Also, listeners, go on to Twitter or Instagram and contact, contact us at sowkstoriespod. Also, go on to our website. Socialworkstories.com. we would love to hear from you we sure would thank you to our producers justin stesh and ben joseph thank you liz it's always fun to record with you it certainly is me no matter what we're talking about it's always a good conversation thanks so much listeners talk to you next time